Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik, and today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back my good friend, Alistair McDonald. Hi, Alistair. Hey, Mike. It is great to be back with you. Thank you so much for joining. Really awesome to have you. And um, before we jump into business, any interesting updates um, with Alistair? Any, any, any news? Hopefully good news. Well, there's uh, there's always some strange messes that I'm making and puzzles that I'm interested in creating. So uh, let's see the latest iterations. Uh, uh, goodness, so many. Uh, son's graduating, heading out to college. So I'm about to become an empty nester on the personal front. That's a huge shift. Congratulations. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> he's actually going to be a rocket scientist. So he's not even joking. Uh, <laughs> when... Uh, he talks about astronautical engineering. I, I, I my eyes just glaze over. So, uh, yeah, wonderful news there. It's a big shift for me. Uh, my nonprofit. Uh, we're getting. We have just been received, uh, as you know, Mike. But maybe our friends listening don't. I run an international counter wildlife trafficking operation, and we protect elephant in high risk areas of social conflict and civil war and so forth in West and Central Africa. And we have just received. Uh, a letter of engagement uh, from probably, certainly in our opinion, the most qualified conservationist in the last hundred years, which is uh, the Jane Goodall Foundation. So a uh, big achievement for us, a huge feather in our cap in terms of legitimacy and credibility. We're just a scrappy, uh, you know, bootstrap guerrilla type operator. And uh, this has just been profound. Uh, we've also just received the entire contract for the largest national park in Africa, it's the size almost of France uh, uh, from WWF Germany. So that is in the Congo Basin called Salonga. Uh, that's really exciting. Uh, practices, uh, dental practices, as you know, my vet hospital uh, exited recently and my dental practices in Toronto, uh, we're, we're, we're looking to double the number of practices in the next eight months. So a lot going on there. Oh. Well, that, 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 that's, a, that's a wow. That's a great update. Um, uh, obviously, you, you've got to be excited that as, as father to, to see your, your son putting the um, space shuttles, hopefully on the moon. or, or Hopefully, or, hopefully or they get off the launch pad. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exciting. And, and obviously, your great work. Thank you for, for your service to the uh, um, uh, conservation of, of, I guess, elephants' um, habitat, right? It's yeah. And the societies and communities that are at risk because of uh, terrorism and so forth, uh, it's, it's complicated work, but I'm surrounded by people incredibly, incredibly capable and hardworking. So lots to be thankful for. Yeah, awesome to hear that. And uh, congratulations on sales of the veterinary practice. And uh, interesting to hear that you are expanding in Canada. Um, yeah. Just very quickly, um, we are, we're going to shift into the economic discussion and, and what's going on out there. But uh, you still feel comfortable expanding um, your footprint of practices in Canada, even with some uncertainty that's out there today with the economic possible global recession on the horizon. Yeah, and uh, this actually fits beautifully into the macroeconomic outlook for the next several years, certainly my outlook and that of individuals who will have their own 
distinctions of what they think. Uh, but the reason, one of the reasons, one of the critical reasons that Canada has my and my partner's attention, certainly I have incredible partners in Canada, uh, but this, the, the shift in Canadian uh, social pressures to increase the social welfare programs of health were inevitably going to shift into uh, government. The Canadian government over the last 10 years has shifted pretty aggressively toward public-private solutions, uh, whether it's in banking or startup financing or what have you. Uh, and part of that is our anticipation almost two years ago that we we're going to see the same thing into the dental space. And that landed beautifully. Uh, about five or six weeks ago, Trudeau's government announced that uh, a new initiative to, let's be quite frank, buy votes would be a government uh, sponsorship of all dental care uh, for those looking for, you know, with incomes of less than 70,000 Canadian a year, and a good portion of those with incomes uh, between 70 and 90,000. As always, those over 90, you pay your own way. But uh, uh, this is, we are poised to be uh, the solution provided the particular business model that we have uh, we're, we're perfectly poised to be to partner with them so we want to get on the front side of that bureaucracy uh, and see if we can align ourselves as a preferred uh, partner um, so that is the bigger picture because the worse things get the bigger government gets historically speaking uh, you know consider for example that there was no SEC until 1933, uh, right? By which time the crisis had already hit, and government, you know, created this giant uh, Securities and Exchange Commission to put out a fire that had already run itself dead. So government tends to grow in times of crisis or economic contraction, and I've deliberately, with my partners, tried to position ourselves in a spot to actually profit from and gain from that instead of be on the other side. Uh, there's a lot more to it, but that's some of the thinking. Well, that's that's amazing foresight to uh, the opportunity. Uh, so mm -hmm. you, you're setting yourself up for great success, regardless of what happens, because you, you you are uh, yeah you, you're fronting the the opportunity that uh, the government is going to uh, write a lot of checks and and spend a lot of money, which is yeah, and, and in the area that is non-competitive, which is emergency dental care, uh, I think that we've solved the reason why there's no emergency dental care. I've run a pilot program in the veterinary space or been a part of one in the veterinary space and took that model to uh, uh, my partnership with these incredible folks. Uh, we've been running a pilot practice now since 2017 with data of the margins on this particular model that have been uh, really, really impressive, two to three times that of a standard dental practice. Wow. So uh, uh, without much of the with a fraction of the overhead, that's really the, the key. Anyway, so the type of medicine of emergency care, uh, we're just we're not we're not competing with anybody for that. Uh, so to position ourselves there as a the government endorsed provider, uh, I think we'll see. We still have to earn that endorsement, but we're poised to get it. Good luck with that, and that's, Thank that's, you, that's awesome to hear. So Thank you. let's shift into a little bit more of economic discussion on what's happening here in the United States. Um, let's look at the broader picture. Um, we, we're dealing with uh, obviously substantial accelerated inflation, not as bad as Zimbabwe, right? Not as bad as where you grew up with, uh, you have to order, pay for your lunch before you order it because it's going to be 20% later. 
20 yeah, percent more by the time you're done yeah but, um the the march number was uh eight and a half i believe the, the print came out today we're recording this on may 11th for april uh 8.3 percent and that's the cpi uh i think most people uh per perceive the real inflation if you add food and energy is to be somewhere in the 15 percent plus and i don't know what the exact figure but that reported inflation feels understated. We're not going to jump into that. So, um, are we are we going to be decelerating the inflation with rising interest rates? And the Fed has just turned very aggressive. And you you you've talked about this great concept in the past that the Fed doesn't really lead; they follow. So they they're following what's already been happening with it with it with a bond, ten uh, year Treasury. Um, but what are your thoughts on what's happening? Is this going to be too fast, too aggressive? Is it going to put us in recession? Is it really going to decelerate inflation? This is a weird inflation. This is driven by supply chain problems, not necessarily uh, by Fed action. So just I'll, the floor is open. Yeah, I think that the uh, one of the reasons that despite uh, a number of um, initiatives by the government over the last X period of time, really the last going back to the collapse of long-term capital management, the efforts to uh, uh, support the support the economy have really been efforts to support the market. And there's a huge difference between the two. Uh, the difference and in every case, whether it was long-term capital management or the tech bubble bursting or the housing bubble bursting, the Fed showed up with those same two tools that they have, which is lowering interest rates and increasing the amount of credit available to a select group of finance companies. Uh, those are really the only tools that they have. Uh, and in every, on every occasion, we've had individuals coming out and saying, oh, inflation is coming, inflation. And it did not happen. And it didn't happen for decades. Uh, you know, where was the inflation that we saw? Instead, inflation in asset prices instead of cost uh, of, cost of goods. Uh, so what's different this time around I agree with you. Certainly, supply chain disruptions are a huge factor, which, like commodity markets, tend to be self-correcting over time. You know, in commodity markets, we say the cure for higher prices is high prices. Uh, as in, price of oil goes to 150, suddenly electric and wind and solar make sense. Uh, so the cure for high prices is high prices. The same is true with supply chain disruptions. The cure to supply chain disruptions is supply chain disruptions. You know, others figure out ways around them. Uh, un unfortunately, just on that point, I recently saw a heat map of the number of ships waiting to dock off the coast of China that are locked there because of their draconian COVID lockdowns. So yeah, I now saw the same picture. It, it, yeah, it, phenomenal. It, it, it's, it's staggering how many ships just can't dock. Yeah, it, it, just profound. And so now we're talking about not so much them getting to us, but them getting into even to resupply and, and bring us the widgets and flip-flops and things that apparently we can't stop buying. Uh, so that, that these are huge contributors, of course, to inflation. Historically speaking, uh, supply chain inflationary cycles are just that, they're cycles, they're transient. They don't last very, they last, but they all end because the problem is its own solution. Uh, the reason that in, in my assessment, and, and I think the data suggests, uh, supports my case, why is it that this time we have successfully engineered inflation? Uh, you know, it was Bernanke who in 2010 said, 
we will not allow inflation above 2%. And his literal quote was, we can raise rates within 15 minutes if we need to. Now, you know, Bernanke has long since, you know, uh, taken the rotating door into, I'm sure, overpriced consulting. Uh, he's not really relevant, but that perspective is, well, where are they now? Uh, you know, they, they, uh, it's just a phenomenal example of the Wizard of Oz uh, really having nowhere near the power. Everybody really needs to believe that they do. So the distinction this time is between why previous iterations of Fed-induced support manifested as asset inflation as opposed to cost uh, consumer goods inflation is the transfer mechanism. The, it is the, we broke the mold when we started shipping checks to American households, and that bypassed the standard version that has worked ever since long-term capital management imploded. We could go back to the savings and loan crisis of the 80s, 90s there. Same mechanism, stepping in, uh, create asset price inflation, higher home costs, higher bond markets, uh, you know, higher equity prices. So the transfer mechanism this time was different, which is a direct channel to your mailbox with actual money. And that immediately bled into a number of, of, uh, of uh, including, and Dave Rosenberg out of uh, previously Gluskin Chef, now Rosenberg Research, showed the data that I think it was from April of 2020 until August of 2021, US consumers forward consumed eight years of durable goods, eight years worth of goods in terms of Home Depot shopping and uh, washer dryers. And so that monstrous gorging of consumer durables also compounded the supply chain uh, issues. These are all transient. These are transient. Uh, now, everybody is getting mocked for using that word. But if we pay attention to the mechanisms behind it, uh, we'll see that they are transient. How many more eight-year forward consumptions can we gorge ourselves on? Not that many. How many more future pandemics can those coincide with? Lockdowns, shipping ports, lockdowns, etc. How many of these? These are transient phenomena. However, the durable, dangerous aspect of inflation this time around is this basically direct-to-consumer checks in the mail. Uh, that is sticky because, as you and I know, this brief study of history in any culture, once a society becomes accustomed to uh, a certain benefit, it becomes an entitlement you know, quicker than the check clears. So we've now bred a generation of, or almost a generation, we've certainly seeded a generation of expectation that whenever stuff goes bad, you'll get bailed out. Wall Street's been given this for decades. But for the first time, consumers were. Uh, and I think that is a very slippery slope, amongst other concerns. That's very interesting. So let me just kind of dive a little bit and let's, let's kind of dissect this further. Uh, so the government transferred uh, trillions of dollars to the consumers directly in the form of various COVID um, help. Um, and the consumers have, have taken the money and spent a good amount of it on durable goods and accelerated consumption by years out. And and, and, and meme stocks. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're buying stocks and, and continue to uh, uh, push the uh, capital markets higher and higher. Now, uh, it, it, it feels like 
at least for the time being, the government uh, has not has lost its will, but the, the balance in Congress is, is, is such that it's unlikely that any major spending are going to be um, uh, put forward. Um, and the Fed, well, I guess it's, it's the markets. The markets are fronting the Fed. The interest rates are rising. And um, it's a demand destruction, right? It's not going to necessarily um, correct the supply chain issues, but at least higher cost of financing and higher cost of goods is, is slowing the demand. So um, are, we, are we heading to a severe recession, a severe global recession? Because you've you got multiple concurrent um, headwinds um, basically sort of... Um, uh, evolving around all of us. We got the higher cost of debt service. We've got um, some level of demand destruction by the virtue of higher prices. Uh, people consume less as, as, as things cost more. And on the other side, the consumption has been fronted. So now uh, as uh, consumers take a step back, they're likely uh, to slow down the consumption quite a bit. So are we, are we gonna see a rapid shift from Kind of a uh, things are great to uh, we we are we are now in a recession and we have to tighten the belt and, and do other things. I think that the answer, at least the the approach, is let's assume yes, because that way the only thing we'll forego is temporary uh, transient opportunities. <clears throat> Excuse me, and opportunities present themselves all the time. Uh, it is the avoidance of unnecessary risk right now or uncompensated risk that I think is the smartest strategy. Think The issue is things have worked so well for so long for so many people that we have, unfortunately, many of us, even considering, you know, the games, the GameStop type speculators, they've been rewarded for their speculation. And that's a terrible thing. That's a terrible thing for, you know, and Charlie Munger makes this case, the, the Robin Hood and the, their ilk, uh, it is a terrible thing for the long-term idea of value creation in an economy for a generation to think that this is the best way and to be rewarded for it. Uh, it really is immoral and unethical and dangerous to the long-term fabric of ambition. Uh, it perverts ambition. And that's what hot money does. Uh, it distorts timeframes and perverts incentives. And it's, uh, it's uh, unfortunate. Um, but the, so I think the best answer is let's assume yes and be surprised with a positive outcome as opposed to the other way around. Uh, in fact, uh, both Gary Schilling, who has perfectly forecast every one of the last five recessions going back to the late 70s, uh, is saying that it is now upon us. Rosenberg makes the case it is upon us. We are almost, we are in it. The recession has begun. And the first quarter GDP, real GDP, coming in at minus 1.4% is the first data point that we need uh, for us to turn it around here would be surprising. Uh, so I'm assuming yes, and uh, personally acting in accordance with that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's actually a great point. Technically, uh, if the Q2 comes comes uh, in as a negative GDP number, then we are in that technical recession already. We've been exactly. in technical recessions since, I guess, start of Q1. But it's almost bizarre because unemployment figures are still very, very low. So yes. you, you, you've got no full employment, low unemployment. You've got uh, ravaging um, inflation. And um, 
sort of it feels it feels like we're still we're still doing well, uh, and hiring is so hard. It, it's almost it's almost go find talent now. Yeah, you have to pay. It's a competitive environment, which is counterintuitive to a recession. During recession, you expect uh, unemployment to uh, to grow, and we we still haven't seen any of that. Yeah, that that's a really great point. I think what's critical to recall is that recessions are a process, not an event. Uh, and we, it's worth remembering that, and there's, there's a number of easy examples, that the, uh, well, firstly, to frame it to your point about, about unemployment, uh, excuse me, unemployment is sitting at 3.6% right now. And we could make the case that this is really bullish and good news. But if we actually paid attention to history, we would notice that on every single occasion, going back to 1950, that unemployment has touched or fallen through 3.6%, a recession has followed. It is literally just a matter of time. In some cases, within two or three months, in others, within eight or nine, in every single case. So it is not so much what got us here as what follows 3.6 unemployment that worries me. Uh, honestly, it is at times like these in the entrepreneurs that I work with, I have a private group, of course, that I work with. And when we get to the squeaking point where everybody is kind of just a joking term, but where everyone's squeaking about hard to find uh, employees, which I, I understand, I'm experiencing the same. Uh, this is a problem that corrects itself. By the time it reaches the point where the type of entrepreneurs I'm working with, it's bumping up into their reality. You know, it's worked its way through HR, uh, through supplies, through all these things to where it's bothering them. This is usually a, an indicator uh, of a turn being upon us. So I look at the, again, the historical precedent going back in this case, 72 years. I look at the, my own anecdotal experience where people, by the time it reaches these level of entrepreneurs, it's usually rolling over. Uh, much like commodity prices, this ends tends to be self-solving, uh, uh, self essentially. Uh, but the, the other critical thing about it doesn't feel like it. When we think about the recession, the post-tech bubble recession, we point to the September 11th attacks and say that, and you will literally hear pundits and fund managers and so forth say, of course, when the planes hit the building, we went into recession. We had been in recession since March of that year, excuse me, May, May of that year. The US had been in recession for many months, but we associate the event with what was actually a process. Fast forward to the, to the financial crisis. Everybody remembers, oh, when Lehman Brothers went bust, that's when we went and taking us into recession. Again, we had been in recession since March, uh, May, uh, of, excuse me, March of of uh, 2008. So we, because the human brain is really not wired to remember or acknowledge processes, we bolt onto events uh, and retroactively thing. And I, I think that that's likely to be what's going on here. Uh, it, you know, it didn't feel right in May, June, July, let's say August of, uh, of 2008. I'm not, I'm just using it as an example. It's not necessarily a, a like to like case study, but it was a month later, the event is now, oh, now we're in trouble. We've been in trouble for some time. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess we're seeing some leading indicators in this unemployment uh, figure breaking uh, below 3.6 is a leading indicator. And what follows is, is a mathematically likely scenario. So we, right. we just, um, I guess, going through the process of, of 
um, going into the recession. So there's, there's a lot of data pointing that we are entering that we've already entered, just not, not enough. So yeah. what actions can folks uh, take today to uh, adjust their investing, their, um, their businesses? Uh, if you're trying to uh, be a, a forward-looking leader, not uh, a uh, responding to the, to, the, to, the, to the past, more of a predicting the future. And prediction is a hard, but it's not a prediction. It's more of what is likely going to happen. Um, so what, think, what, what can people do? One of the most fundamental questions, I, I, it's funny, I've gotten this question and you're going to laugh at this because the question itself is almost a ridiculous question. So I had some of our fund investors, some of the folks have been with us for a long time, they have stock portfolios too, they diversified. And uh, my good friend asked me um, just a couple of days ago, uh, should should I sell? And, and if I do sell, where do I move the money? Because uh, it feels like the pain is not over pain has already been there for a number of months, but um, the feeling is it might continue to be a lot more pain in the stock and bond markets. Again, if the rates rise, the bonds take it on the chin. Uh, if the interest rates rise, it hurts technology stocks and many uh, leveraged companies with leveraged balance sheets. So the pain ain't over. Uh, and the stock market is not seeing stability, it's not seeing confidence. So the sell-off is, is likely to continue. Uh, and the follow-up question: What do I do with the money? What, where do I invest in? What, what, what am I? You know, what is is it all assets? Are all assets are going to be shrinking? So they sit in cash in a high inflation environment. So, what, yeah. what do you think? Uh, I think it's an interesting phenomenon that is always historically uh, early contractionary or late cycle phenomenon. The sense that I have to be putting my money to work, uh, which is another way of saying I need to indiscriminately buy something. Because if we had discrimination, if we were discerning about what qualifies as a worthy investment, we would never be bothered waiting for good investment opportunities. Uh, so it is very much a late cycle, early contractionary instinct to feel compelled to do, to quote unquote, do something. Uh, and I think it usually is indicative of somebody who lacks a uh, uh, a level of qualitative as analysis of what what really qualifies to get your capital. If you've you know successfully built a large investment or, or a savings uh, over time, what qualifies for that money to be deployed? Put it in the S and P just because you should put it in the S and P. And this is where we 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 abdicate the responsibility as shepherds of our own and our family's resources. Uh, so to me, the answer is what qualifies, not what should I do with it? Uh, it's what qualifies, you know, so I say, this is my risk profile. This is what I'm looking for, yield or growth or what have you. This is what historically has provided a good risk adjusted return. This is the risk premium willing to get paid or to pay. These are far, far more valuable mental models for us than what do I do with it? Uh, the irony is, is that at this time, the aversion to cash really makes it the most contrarian investment of all time, uh, which because we'll say we've got a known loss, we've got, well, uh, I'm not above taking a known modest loss with it, which I can hedge uh, with versus an unknowable incalculable loss. Uh, that I'm not, that is a choice I'll take at any time just on the surface. So for that reason, I'm quite comfortable taking a known measured loss 
uh, in cash for some period of time, assuming I can assign some sort of hedge to it, whether it's hard assets or uh, gold miners or, you know, who knows what, not recommending these, just using examples. Uh, I think that is, that's really the choice that is really being made here because on a valuation basis, you're going to have a hard time making the case to buy anything right now, uh, you know, in terms of the equity markets and I would say the bond markets. I think to your question of what should we do that should be guided by what is it that we need to look out for? And my, what is, I mean, this doesn't keep me up at night, but if it did, if something did, it would be uh, credit spreads and what's happening in the bond market. Uh, bond market right now is, uh, you know, I've been talking about this and now for over two years and saying the corporate bond market is a tinderbox, an absolute tinderbox of unbelievably low quality uh, borrowers uh, with very little reserves. So that's what worries me. The credit quality spread between high quality debt or uh, even real estate and low quality speculative stuff, uh, widening that gap widening is going to, if this continues with such a sharp turn up in things like the two and five year note, uh, th this historically has been followed by somebody's going bust. Somebody is. Uh, how big they are and where they are, I don't know. Um, I worry about, well, yeah, I worry about some uh, particular characters, but where it'll happen and when, uh, that's of less concern to me that the inevitability is increasing by the day. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, the junk bonds risk has, has yeah. gone up quite a bit. And uh, I, I, I've not followed the markets the way you have, but I think you're absolutely right that this, the, the spreads are widening, uh, basically uh, increasing the, the risk um, likelihood that some of these issues will, will, will default. And that is, is a, uh, is, that's a bad news. If, if, if this picks up momentum and becomes systemic, boy, I mean, we could, we could hit a crisis. And what, that's exactly what happens is when we start to see rates rise, it increases the risk of defaults, uh, in which case those that are lending or willing to buy bonds demand a higher risk because of increased default risks. And so the one becomes the other. That's a self-perpetuating cycle, a self-fulfilling phenomenon. Rising, uh, you know, a slight concern about default risks sees people selling more than buying. Uh, that creates a heightened risk of default, which accelerates, you know, this is, gets into Soros's point of reflexivity. Um, to your point about junk bonds and high yield, is uh, it? It's fascinating. I mean, I remember just a few months ago uh, looking at. Uh, in fact, we spoke about it in an event that you and I were attending, where I pointed out we were getting paid, you know, three point eight percent or four point two percent on junk bonds that have Crazy. a that, that have a historic default of seven point six percent. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Yeah, the one of the the things that I, I've learned from you, uh, and I really love this point, is you said that the interest rate is a measure of risk, and the system has been so distorted um, by the fact that the interest rates on these um, highly speculative instruments, these junk bonds, just was too low. It's 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 way below the real risk that they they present. Uh, specifically, with the point you made that the default rate is high. Than the interest rate in those bonds, yeah. which basically turns them into negative uh, real return investments right from the get-go. Right. So the only person that would buy that 
is somebody who is sure that they can sell it before that happens. Speculators, not investors. People That's who are right. speculating yeah. uh, the greater full fury. Yes, exactly. Uh, these are certainly interesting times. Alistair, I appreciate your wisdom. Uh, we need to do a second part to this discussion. Uh, th- th- this conversation can never finish in 30 minutes. There's so much wisdom. So I'd love to do a second episode. Let's schedule it, uh, but bring this one to a conclusion. Um, appreciate uh, your time, your wisdom. Thank you kindly uh, for coming on the podcast. For the uh, folks um, who want to reach out, maybe engage you for some consulting or whatnot, how would folks get a hold of you? Uh, well, that's, first of all, thank you. I always enjoy our conversations as well. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Uh, I am I'm, I'm uh, routinely joked at and about by my clients that I'm black ops and they have to find me because I don't have any sort of, <laughs> I don't even think I have a website. So uh, I tend to be fairly black ops. I imagine probably the best way would be, uh, uh, I hate to say it, I have a modest presence on Facebook, uh, but that's uh, largely friends and family. But I, I generally probably uh, through you, Mike, I think would be <laughs> the easiest way because I don't, uh, it's just, I'm not actively uh, soliciting business, but again, individuals have interesting puzzles. I, I certainly love helping them. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'll act as a bodyguard. In, 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 <laughs> to get a hold of you, they got to go great. through me first. So. Great. Th- thank you so much. Uh, and um, yeah, well, let, let's do another one. Let's let's record a second session when you get a chance. Schedule it, and would love to continue the conversation because it's a very dynamic conversation and things are changing. We'll, we'll talk again in a few weeks, and before you know, we, we might have a lot more. Um, different uh well a lot different situation hopefully won't get much much worse much fast but it things are moving and unfortunately certainly be different. in the wrong direction yeah thank you mike good to be thank with you me. thank you for listening to the big mike fun podcast to receive your copy of mike's how to choose a smart real estate fun book head to bigmikefun.com or visit amazon and type mike slotnik Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.